0: Okay, let's get into the, looking at this material. Kind of pretty much it reads as my thoughts flow with this. The story of the Bible is the gradual unfolding of the eternal purpose of God for man. We need to understand how the plan unfolded as well as why it unfolded in the way that it did. And what I mean by that is You need to have a good understanding, good enough that you can teach and explain to people why Jesus didn't die on the cross immediately after Adam and Eve sinned. The Bible explains and tells why, but you need to know that to be able to help others to see it. All of the Old Testament and our Bible occurred before the cross. Why did God wait that long? What are we supposed to learn from the children of Israel in the study of the Old Testament? How does it factor in? Why did God choose to wait that long before the time was right? As Romans says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why was the time due? Other versions of that verse says, at the right time, Christ died. Why was the time not right back in Eden? Why was the time not right any time before the flood? Why did God wait so long before Jesus took care of the matter of sin? This is what I hope to help you to see. You may already know it. I'm not suggesting that you don't. But there was a reason why things happened in the Bible as they did. Everything was according to how God planned it to happen. And we benefit from that. And so this material tonight kind of focuses on what God's eternal purpose is, as well as, you know, sometimes we can understand what something is by answering what it's not. What is God's purpose not? Some people have the erroneous <clears throat> understanding of what it is god's eternal purpose refers to god's intentions to save man from sin now that's mentioned often in the bible peter made a statement in second peter chapter 3 and verse 9 said that god is not willing that any should perish but that everybody should what come to repentance well, that's not God's eternal pur- purpose because that's never going to happen. Everybody is not going to repent of their sins. You see that? You see that? That's why that's not God. Although that's God's desire for all of humanity, that's not His eternal purpose for that will never happen. Similarly, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul wrote to Timothy and said that it's God's desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> Class, is that ever going to happen? Is everybody going to learn what to do to be saved and do it? But yet, that's God's desire. God wants that for all of us, but that's not his, that's his desire. But that's not the eternal purpose of God, because that's not going to happen either. Matter of fact, we know from passages like in Matthew, when it talks about the straight way and the broad way, most people's going to wind up Where? In the place that God doesn't want them to be. Most humanity is going to be there. But it's God's desire for everybody to be in heaven. But that's not going to happen. God wants us all to repent. But that's not going to happen. So that's not His eternal purpose, these two passages. But we do learn from these two passages that man's salvation was a desire of God for man. But you notice there that it requires two things. In order for anybody to be saved two things are going to have to occur. They're going to have to come to a knowledge of truth. And they're going to have to repent. Now learning how to repent and learning truth learning how to do both of those things that is what we're talking about when I speak to you about God's eternal purpose. And so focus your thoughts that since it was God's eternal purpose to accomplish the means whereby I could learn or come to a knowledge of the truth, and since it was God's desire that I repent, God's eternal purpose was doing something whereby I could know how to repent and I could come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God's eternal purpose is referring to, okay? Okay. We have to learn those two things. We have to come to a knowledge of the truth and we have to repent if we're going to be saved in accordance with God's eternal purpose. And this suggests how important preaching or doctrine is. If the doctrine's in error, people's going to believe and obey error. And they're not going to repent the way God said. You Remember in the Corinthian letter, godly sorrow worketh repentance. But there is a repentance like Judas performed was it genuine Judas repented was it what God wanted being regretful that you've messed up there's a sorrow of the world that the Bible mentions about that's not godly repentance so we can repent and still be lost you see how everything focuses upon what were you taught what were you told? Were you told accurate things? You may have responded in sincerity to some plan of salvation. Was it truth? If not, even though you believed it and you obeyed it, has your relationship changed? You see why the Apostle Paul stressed that in Romans 6:17 and 18... That there is a form of doctrine that had to be delivered or preached as well as obeyed from the heart. What if you were preached error and you obeyed it from the heart? Robbie, is your relationship changed with God? That's very simple. How important is doctrine? This is why God's eternal purpose needs to be understood. It helps us to see where baptism fits where belief fits where confession fits where repentance fits and why certain things are required it helps us to just put everything in its proper perspective so learning truth coming to a knowledge of truth and learning about repentance and how to do those things that's what God's eternal purpose is God did something that enabled me to come to knowledge of the truth and to know how to repent and why to repent. What was that? That was God's eternal purpose, that I could come to a knowledge of those two things and perform those two things. So what did that involve? But tonight, we want to go back and focus upon when this began. The one more passage I have there that shows how important doctrine or teaching is. If you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6 the gospel of John in chapter 6 Jesus here speaking beginning in verse 41 the Jews were grumbling about Jesus because he had made the statement I am the bread that came down out of heaven And they were saying is, this not, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know how does he now say I've come down out of heaven Jesus answered in verse 43 and said, Don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless what happens? He's drawn by the Father. Think. How does God draw? How does God draw us? He goes on to say, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be what? Taught. The Father draws us through teaching. This is why doctrine is important. This is why doctrine is important. If you're taught wrong, you're not going to come to the Father. You will follow whatever you were told. But again, the Father draws us through teaching. And is that not why Jesus taught? He didn't just come to this earth and spend one day and be crucified. What led up to Him? Why was Jesus, I've talked about this before, why was Jesus hated? Because of what He taught. Because He revealed the wickedness of a man's heart. And they hated Him. He wasn't crucified because He healed. He was crucified and hated because of what He taught, because He taught truth. The 12th chapter of John, the last two verses, Jesus says, I didn't speak my own will. The Father gave me commandment, what I should say and what I should teach. Now what that tells me is, Jesus clearly was told... This is what you're to preach and teach when you go to earth. And he says, I didn't make up my own doctrine. I was given commandment and I could not go beyond that command or fall short of it. And the same thing, he said, I gave those words that he said the Father gave me in chapter 12 of John. In chapter 17, Jesus said in that beautiful prayer, I gave the words that he gave me to the apostles they preached the same thing that I preached. Okay, And this is why doctrine is important. But now let's go back and notice some passages that talk about the eternal purpose of God. And I want us to understand when did the eternal purpose of God start? Or when did it begin? And in what format did it exist? In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, we find that it began prior to the creation. Paul wrote to Titus here and said, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised, when? Before the world began. Eternal life was a promise that God made. Before He made the universe, He promised eternal life to somebody that He had not yet made. Now, he didn't purpose this world, this planet that we live on. He didn't purpose it. When he made it, he never had in mind that I'm going to make the earth, the planet earth, with the intention that it will always exist. He never created it with that purpose in mind. It had an end. Before he made the animals, his purpose was, I don't want to make a bunch of animals that will live on this planet earth that will outlive the earth. He never promised eternal life for the planet, for this universe, or for the animal world or the plant world. One thing, when He made it, He made it with the intention that I want this thing to live forever. With me. That's what God purposed. And that creature was man. We're the only thing that God made for the purpose of living forever. On and on and on. Yet we lost that right. We lose that right when we sin and transgress. But God purposed it for us and has made provisions as we're going to see that we can reclaim that through Christ. That's His eternal purpose. What did He do that enabled me to regain something I lost? That was purposed and planned as we're going to see But let's go on and notice some other things. Eternal life was purposed. It began in the mind of God as a promise. understand that first. Eternal life existed in the form of a promise from God. But notice these two passages in Matthew, the 25th chapter. In verse 34, when we have the judgment scene picture, the statement is made that the king is going to say to those on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father... Inherit the kingdom prepared when? After sin was committed? When was that? When was the foundation of the world referred to? In the beginning, Genesis 1. But this was prepared, this kingdom, whatever this kingdom is, it was prepared prior to that. You go on down to verse 41. Those on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Well, when was this fire created? Same time the kingdom was. But notice, this fire was not meant for man. God didn't purpose us to have this. But it was prepared. You think God knew that He was going to create a creature capable of choosing You see how that's suggested in this? But the kingdom and the everlasting fire were both prepared prior to the creation. Why? Think about it. When was the kingdom and when was the everlasting fire uh, uh, prepared? But what else was predetermined? That is determined beforehand. Predestined means predetermined. Predestination, the concept is It was predestined to happen. Okay? Notice from the epistle to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Christians are addressed and said that God hath chosen us in Him. By context, that's Christ. He hath chosen us in Him. When? Before the foundation of the world. What was chosen? Who's the him? Who's the us? And what does it mean? You see how it's having reference that something was purposed in Christ? God chose us. The reference is that salvation was pre-planned to be in Christ. But I want you to focus upon the time frame. When was that decision made by God? Before the foundation of the world. All these passages are going to be used later. To help us see the truth about the doctrine of salvation by grace. God freely made this decision. That I want to make man different from animals. I want to make him in my image. But why? And we're going to see and I hope deeply appreciate how much love God had for us. He could have simply by one decision. We could have been no different from a horse or a dog. If God hadn't purposed to make you different, you would have been no different from a cow. You would have had a beginning and an end. But God gave you a soul. God put a soul in man. He did not do that with anything else. And that's why you will live either in this eternal fire or this kingdom. Both were prepared. And this also incidentally helps us to see how important that we understand that we're not robots, that the, the, the other thing that's unique about a human is that they are free will creatures. We choose our destiny. God's made provision that we can know how to repent and know why we need to repent and what do we need to repent of. God's given us that capability because He's given us the instructions about why we need to repent. God's given us a knowledge of the truth, but now that can be wasted. All of that effort by God can be wasted if I choose to never spend much time in this book. So Ephesians 1 verse 4, He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 verse 5, Having predestinated us unto adoption, and to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. When was that done? When did God purpose that we would be His adopted children through Christ? That was purposed before the foundation of the world. Now the reason I'm stressing that is because denominational preachers set forth salvation that all of this was a decision made by God after the fact. After you sinned, God said, I really love Him and I feel sorry for Him. Jesus go down to earth. They've got it backwards. The problem that creates for them people is they think that that one act of Jesus is all that it takes. And so salvation is a one act step. Once saved, always that way. This is how that's come about. The eternal purpose of God. When did God purpose to love us? It proves that God, like you said from the beginning, knew that man would have this problem of sin. And it wasn't like that he didn't know that and he had plan A and then he had to come up with plan B to take care of it. God knew how He was going to make us. And He purposefully made us capable of rejecting Him. And the only way we can accept him is through this. But he's not going to force us. The statement's been made by one preacher that he's dead now, that in the army of God, it's an all-volunteer army. There's no draftees. You're not drafted into the salvation. You don't want it. You won't have it. If, you want, if you're going to be saved, it's because you want to be. And the motivation is not, I'm scared of going to hell. If you're taught of God, John 6, and verse 45, you will see why you need. You'll see the great love that God had for you. And that's what I hope that you'll learn from this. But let's go on. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. What else was predetermined? Here's another subject that so many preachers teach it wrong. They separate Christ. If you can think about it from a physical standpoint, your physical body, you have a head and you have a body, don't you? If you sever that, what happens to the body? If you sever the body from the head, what happens? Alright, in the Bible, Christ is the head of a body. That body is His church you can't have one without the other you can't if you will divorce Christ from his body you say well what's that got to do with this have you ever heard anybody say there's salvation in Christ but not in the church no that's not true you can't be in Christ and not be in Christ's body but preachers preach that to people because they're fed up with hypocrisy and the lives of those in the church and so they try to minimize the church. But my friends, Christ died for the church. He died that we might be adopted, Ephesians 1. He gave His lifeblood that we might be a part of His body.
1: Brother Roger, I think that's a very valid point. I'll give that hundred percent. Thus far, when we have a better understanding of Ephesians 1 and through chapters 3, and I don't mean to to go back on some of the things you talked about. No, go right ahead. I'd like to go back to a point. Uh, We have a better understanding going back to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse 44, in your notes, and here we talk about the idea of drawing, the drawing power. What draws us? Well, it it is the inspired word of God that draws us. We need to understand it's not in a mysterious and miraculous way. When one hears this and he understands the truth, then he's going to react to the truth. When he hears, that's what <coughs> draws us. What's, what this Bible does. When we hear it and when we understand it, then we properly react to that. And, and the reason I say that is, in that same chapter, in the closing comments that the Lord made uh, to the disciples, and here is the comments of Peter, in verse 66, we can see the results of the truth that gospel that that, that the the Lord was teaching. It was the truth that killed the Lord. They hated what He said. But it is this truth, He says, that will be able to draw you. Here's what He says in verse 67 to the 12. I've spoken the truth to you. Will you also go away? Are you going to leave me? This is what draws you unto me. This is what the relationship that we have with the Father. But in verse 70, excuse me, uh, in verse 68, Verse 68 of the same chapter, Simon and Peter then, here is his response to the question of the Lord: Will you go away? He says, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. This is the drawing power. He understood that. And he understood the truth when he heard it. And now he's reacting to it. He understands this is the drawing power. And if you remember also in Jude, verse 3, that we earnestly contend. For this faith, the drawing power, the gospel, the love of God. This is what unites us, and this is what makes us have a wonderful relationship, A, with God, B, with one another. And, and something so dear and precious, uh, as Simon Peter says, I'm not going to throw this away, because thou hast the words of life. He's understanding the purpose that God had. He's understanding this as an individual.
0: That's exactly right. Ephesians 3 beginning in verse 3 notice what else was purposed or pre-planned Paul here is talking about the mystery of Christ that was revealed unto him he said it was made known to me verse 3 by revelation and he says I wrote it it down I wrote it for in a few words Whereby, when you read, you will understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, what is the mystery of Christ? That was what was pre-planned, predetermined. Paul goes on to say about this mystery: in other ages or in prior generations, this mystery was not known. Until it was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto whom. The holy apostles and prophets through the Spirit. They were the first ones to have the mystery (coughs) clarified. And that's what they went and preached. What was the mystery? Verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by or through the gospel. That's the mystery. Jew and Gentile would become brethren. In one body. That body being the church. How was God going to do that? What unifies people who who were at one time bitter enemies? And what is it that with us even yet today, what is it that can make two men who have been at each other's throats, what enables them to become brothers? The gospel. A message of forgiveness. This is what the gospel does. He goes on, verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister, talking about the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Notice, which from the beginning of the world was hid. Why did God hide the mystery for centuries? Why did God do that? Who created all things of Christ? To the intent that now to the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be made known or might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Summing up this text of Ephesians 3:3 through11, you know what was pre-planned? the Church of Jesus Christ, which is His body. God purposed to create the church. That is an institution where all who have been saved, they are in that institution. God purposed to unite us and make us His adopted children, brethren, He purposed to accomplish that's His eternal purpose. When did that happen? When did that happen? Okay. What did God do to provide eternal life? He desires all men to be a part of his church, but everybody's not going to be a part of the church. He wants all men to repent of their sins, but that's not going to happen. But he created something whereby people can be saved. That's his eternal purpose. That's been fulfilled in Christ. It was accomplished in Acts chapter 2 when a response was made to the preaching, that there's salvation available in Christ. When Peter stood up to preach, it was almost done, but it was not until those about 3,000 <coughs> repented and were baptized that the purpose of God had been accomplished. Now everybody that's saved since then gets saved in the same way. And if they're taught different. They're not saved in the same way. And the bottom line is they're not saved. And that's the responsibility that we have is to help people see that if you're taught something different or other than what the apostles preached, it's another gospel. And there is but one body because Christ purposed to build just one. So I wanted to cover that tonight. Now on the back of that, We've got period one and period two. We've covered period one, so mark period two. And Lord willing, we'll take up with this next Sunday night, period two. Thank you.